0: Welcome to The Rosen Box,
1: where dancers go for show prep and candid chat. I'm Claire Kretchmar.
0: And I'm Aron Sands, and we are dancers with New York City Ballet. Welcome back, listeners, to the fall season of The Rosen Box.
1: Final episode.
0: Today, we have the honor to be discussing the New York Choreographic Institute. Mm hmm which um, our friend Claire is going to explain to us what that is.
1: Yeah, the New York Choreographic Institute was created in 2000. Mm-hmm. It's kind of interesting to say 2000. Like normally we're used to saying 2000 and, something. 2000 and something, but it was created in 2000 by Irene Diamond and Peter Martins. They had this intention and mission to cultivate the next generation of choreographers who would shape classical ballet going forward into the 21st century. So they created a series of sessions that take place throughout the year. And it combines, I would say, budding choreographers Mm -hmm. or choreographers who wanna test their skills on dancers. It provides those choreographers with the dancers courtesy of either New York City Ballet or the School of American Ballet. It gives them nice studios to use that are on the New York City Ballet Lincoln Center campus. Mm -hmm. And um, sometimes it gives them opportunity to use a composer and then other things, too, which we can get more into. Mm -hmm. But basically, the essential purpose of it is to experiment with choreography Mm -hmm. and to combine all of the necessary ingredients. Right in the setting of a ballet studio to do that.
0: Right. And this entity is like connected with New York City Ballet.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. It's like a subset of New York City Ballet or an affiliated company. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know if company is the right word to describe it, but an an affiliated organization. Institution
0: organization is good. Yeah.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Aram, what do the practicals of the institute look like? Like, I know that we've both participated Mm -hmm. in them.
0: The logistics on it is two weeks of rehearsals Mm -hmm. with three hours of rehearsal per day, Mm -hmm. exception of the first day, which the dancers take class and the choreographers watch and get to kind of cast and select Mm -hmm. which dancers they want to work with. As an exception of that day, everything else is three hours of rehearsing every day. And the last day of those two weeks, there is a small... Kind of studio showing performance with a small audience, with uh, members of the board of New York Choreographic Institute as well as City Ballet.
1: Yeah, um, like fans, personnel, friends. Yeah, uh, yeah. And then I know some of our um, school of American Ballet teachers will come and watch, and yeah, mm-hmm. it's just kind of a and very... and
0: it gets that studio showing gets recorded, gets filmed, yes, and archived. But very recently, the Institute has taken it a step farther with the film portion of it where they actually create a short film of the choreography on location. So the dancers and choreographer and video crew will travel somewhere and adapt the choreography to the space and to be recorded and edited in such a way that it's not just a simple recording of the piece but an actual film of the dance
1: yes it's become this new element of mm-hmm. the new york choreographic institute yeah. that adrian denching Waring, i believe has really pioneered right which we can talk to him in a right. little bit he's going to be our special guest he's artistic director of the new york choreographic institute currently So, yeah, the film element is key these days when so much of our lives are connected to the Internet and the digital world World. in some capacity. So I'll be interested to hear more from Adrian about Mm -hmm. the reasons why, because it is going in a way even beyond just archival purposes Mm -hmm. because there is this artful Mm -hmm. element to the filming as well.
0: For some of the pieces and some of this choreographies their trajectory doesn't just end there Mm -hmm. sometimes they get picked to even appear on stage of city ballet or the choreographer might take them elsewhere after that and keep on working on them with other companies or perhaps like put them on the stage as they are with other dancers yes you know the the lifespan of that work doesn't necessarily just end after those two weeks.
1: Exactly. Yeah, it's like a laboratory, correct? Um, where all of these elements come together, and then, but from there, you use what you've learned as a choreographer or a mm-hmm. dancer, and then you take that to your next chapter or your next position, depending on who you are. Right. Um, certainly, the choreographer has ownership of the correct of the, the choreography of the work itself. The work. Yes, but we have seen some pieces come Mm -hmm. from the Choreographic Institute to New York City Ballet. And we've also seen some choreographers come from the Institute and then go on to various companies around the world. And have become big names. They're big names now, yeah. Yeah. And they've uh, gotten their, if not their start, they definitely were showcased. Right. At the New York Choreographic Institute, before they became a coveted mm-hmm. choreographer around the world, mm-hmm. like some some names that come to mind, we have Christopher Wheeldon, Justin Peck, Silas Farley, Emery LeCrone, Alexei Ratmansky, John Reizen, Lauren Lovett, Claudia Schreier, mm-hmm. and uh, Benjamin Milpier, Yeah, just to name a few. There, there's yeah. so the list many. Is long. The list is very long because it has been going on. Since 2000, yeah. and there are multiple sessions, at least today, multiple sessions happen Correct. per year, because we have a fall session, a spring session, a In summer, a summer session. session. Yeah, and again, as Aron said, they're about two weeks long mm-hmm. each. Yeah. Aron, what has your experience with the Institute been, as much as you can remember?
0: Right. So, my first experience with it was during the summer session, which includes the students, at the summer program of the School of American Ballet. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't a member of the company at that point, And I was 17. And I had never had the opportunity to be part of something new or had anything choreographed on me prior to that. So it was my first, you know, experience with
1: Wow, that. yeah. I guess so I it's pretty realize. special. Yeah, definitely. Yeah.
0: The choreographer was Lauren Lovett.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We know her.
0: Yeah. And I remember being in the studio with like a bunch of other classmates from that summer program. Like it was a big group. So Mm -hmm. that was pretty cool to be part of that big community of like a new ballet. And it was really fun. The summer program happens on the fifth floor Mm -hmm. of the building at Lincoln Center. But the rehearsals for this happen on the eighth floor, which is the New York City Ballet Studios. So it was, of course, very special to be there for the first time. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to wear the uniform Mm -hmm. that you Mm -hmm. wear in the summer program. So, you know, it has a lot of perks.
1: Yeah, more experiment to the New York Choreographic Institute. You have to play with your outfit.
0: Yeah. And I just remember being very fun. Mm -hmm. uh, Yeah, very fun. I believe also was, if not the first, one of the first experiences for Lauren Lovett to choreograph.
1: Yeah, I would I, I imagine. Believe, I believe
0: she had choreographed at SAB priorly yeah. to their independent mm-hmm. like choreographer program. But I think this might have been her first institute experience. That's sure.
1: big, and she was probably really young at that point, too. Yeah, I
0: think she had just gotten into the company. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was very special, really fun. How I see it is that it gives really a dancer an opportunity to work with a choreographer firsthand work on those skills bring the steps out of the choreographer's language yep put them into music put them into space um, and also a great experience for exposure yes up until then as a student you only expose your talents and your skills through, you know, dance class mm-hmm. or at the end of the year, the workshop performance. But this is something a little more intimate, something that, you know, it was it's choreographed on you. So mm-hmm. it really features you mm-hmm. most of the time. You know, the steps yes. work for you. They work with your talents. So it's great to really Showcase that, and I think it has elevated a lot of people's careers through the years. To be young and inexperienced, but really given the opportunity to let other people see what you got.
1: Definitely, no, I hundred percent agree. Yeah,
0: beyond just barn center, like some people's stage presence. It's a, a huge component, and you don't really get to see that during class, but you really get to explore that during the choreography.
1: Yes, it comes out in choreography.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I have not choreographed myself, so my only experience has been as a dancer.
1: As a dancer, which it's a, it is something to learn. Yeah. This skill of 100%. receiving new choreography mm-hmm. and also contributing parts of yourself to the choreography Mm. as well because i think what is a gift to the choreographer is like an eager attentive willing Mm -hmm. human just like a very human like an artist artist yeah that's a better word yeah who is
0: really willing to try and listen and Mm -hmm.
1: like translate their work translate the work and then also just like add add really take yeah
0: take their language and really make it yours yes and-
1: so that in the end there is a true collaboration yeah. and it's not just like one one uh, the choreographer is super active yeah. and then the dancer is I mean active in movement but passive in intention like yeah. mm-hmm. the heart of a dancer is just I, I would say needs to or longs to be as active mm-hmm. as the choreographer's mind and heart so that in the end there is something that's, like, spectacular. Yeah. And, yeah, New York City Ballet certainly has a incredible legacy of these amazing works I that agree. have been successful largely because of the partnerships of choreographers Choreographer to dancer. dancer. Yeah, I Yes. Agree. Yes.
0: Also, like, it gives you a taste of what your life in City Ballet maybe maybe one day, like, you need to, like, be choreographed on and be ready to take on the workload and the responsibility that comes with a new work.
1: Yes, and I think something that we're both touching upon and that maybe we haven't really said yet is that a lot of the dancers who participate in these institute sessions tend to be on the younger side, mm-hmm. certainly in the institutes that use the School of American Ballet students of course, they're on the other side. They're still students. As Aron was saying, you were a student mm-hmm. for your first institute, so it was a nice moment for you to cultivate your artistry and also showcase what you got. Yeah. But even for New York City ballet dancers, they sign up to do these institutes. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the dancers tend to be younger, partly because of that eagerness yeah. of wanting to grow in their talents but it's also an opportunity for them to grow in their skills of being able to receive new information mm-hmm. choreographically and then contribute their own artistry mm-hmm. as well. So, And it is something that New York City Ballet does a lot. Mm-hmm. So for those younger dancers, it's a helpful tool as much as it is like a showcasing yeah. tool <laughs> yeah. for them to participate mm-hmm. in it and then take those skills back into the year round New York City ballet life. Yeah. How about your
0: experience?
1: Well, I specifically remember being in an institute session with you. I think we did two together. Mhm. One the choreographer was George Williamson and I have photos of us doing like a pas de deux mm-hmm. together. And we also were in a work by Troy Schumacher Mm -hmm. that I believe became one of his later works for New York City Ballet. I think that was the piece that we worked on in the Choreographic Institute and it became The Wind Still Brings, like the final Mm movement of Troy Schumacher's work, The Wind Still Brings, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. So I remember that. I do remember feeling like, wow, this is a really cool moment to share the parts of me that haven't been shared before. In the professional New York City ballet setting, Mm -hmm. it is a lot of work to repeat the steps. It's a lot of work to repeat the steps over and over again, day in and day out, trying to help the choreographer figure out what works and what doesn't. Both participants are trying to figure out what is this ballet. And sometimes there can be challenging moments where, especially for the choreographer, I would say, like the choreographer might hit like a roadblock. Mm -hmm. It's like writing an essay. Mm -hmm. and there are those moments as a dancer where you just have to keep trying things over and over again. You can't give up.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You usually have to dance more or less as fully as possible mm-hmm. so that the choreographer can see if something is working or not. But I think as you get older, you also learn how to not like be busting yeah.
0: how to, how to do all the that time yeah, in a healthy way. healthy way, yeah. yeah because it is open to. Anyone, anyone who's a choreographer or has choreographing interests can apply to be part of this institute. You get people from all around the world. Right. And, you know, from different backgrounds in different genres of dance. Mm -hmm. Some of them have never worked with ballet dancers before. Some of them have worked with ballet dancers that are very different from how we might dance Mm -hmm. um, in city ballet. So it's always a challenge to... Find yourself, find the good rhythm and the the way of working. Yep. And it's always very interesting. And because it is very compact in just two weeks and pretty intense, you kind of have to get with the program and
1: you get do, in you the get, same
0: page pretty yep, quick.
1: Yep. You have to start learning each other's languages. Yes. Really quickly so that when it comes time for the studio showing you have something that can be read or understood. Mm-hmm by the audience members, even if it's just a small showing, you mm-hmm. still want it to come across as something yeah. that it makes sense. Meaningful. Yeah, meaningful. Yeah. Certainly.
0: Mm-hmm. I remember one of the choreographics I did, I worked with Yuri Smekalov, an artist from the Marinsky Theater. Mm-hmm. And I believe he's just a choreographer now, but at the time he was a dancer and a choreographer.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: he had a... Not so far of a dance vocabulary, but, you know, a more Russian classical um, vocabulary of uh, movement. Mm -hmm. He choreographed something after Rachmaninoff, Mm music-wise, and his interpretation of the artist himself. Mm -hmm. And I remember being very challenging, and I remember being very, very sore.
1: And you were, if I'm not mistaken, you were Rachmaninoff, right? Your character was, you're like, Rachmaninoff in movement. Alleged Rachmaninoff. (laughs) Yeah. I'm
0: named Rachmaninoff artist. (laughs) But I just, yeah, I remember being different movement. Also looking for a different movement quality and very challenging. And I just remember being so sore. His work system was just like, you got to show it. All the time. 100% all the time. Wow. And, and. The, perhaps there weren't even that many like hard tricks, but the repetition of it was in itself a very challenging.
1: Yes, yeah, no, it's a ton of work to do this thing. We mentioned this a little bit before the podcast, but in one of the pieces for the choreographic Institute, mm-hmm. I pulled my inner thigh mm-hmm. and I was so young that I didn't really realize that when you pull your inner thigh or like your hamstring, yeah, you should not stretch. And um, I went into splits. Because I thought that was the thing yeah. to do to ease the pain. And that turned into an unfortunate inner thigh injury. Yeah. But the repetition of something, yeah. <laughs> like, really, yeah, it takes a toll. Um, but I, I remember really enjoying that piece. Yeah, also, you, you will... The Rachmaninoff piece. Oh, thank you. Your Rachmaninoff oh, piece. Oh, thank
0: you. <laughs> um,
1: I, I, I was saying, it's the only way
0: to learn is by doing it. Yeah. You learn your limits... Um, by doing it.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: And I think it's a very safe space to do this. Yes. To really challenge yourself and like pour yourself into the work mm-hmm. to see what will come of it.
1: Yeah. And we have had some studio to stage successes. And one that comes to my mind is Mothership mm-hmm. by Nicholas Blanc. And they performed it in the studio. And then that same, basically, that same cast of dancers from one of the workshops, the institute sessions, yeah. were in New York City Ballet. So they did the same yeah. piece more or less at New York City Ballet. Mm-hmm. And it was really exciting to see that because I think that I think I was in that institute session, and I got to watch Mothership, this yeah. ballet, in the studio. And then I also got to watch my friends do it when it premiered, yeah. And that was really exciting to yeah. see the the fruits of the Institute session.
0: Totally. And that's that's the ultimate purpose mm-hmm. to it, to really create pieces that could they one day could, yes. translate to uh, something finished and finessed.
1: Yeah, they're en route. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. As well as Justin Peck's Year of the Rabbit. Right. Just as Justin Peck's Year of the Rabbit started, it was initiated as an Institute Piece. Yep. And I remember being part of that original.
1: Mm-hmm. And you know, I was an understudy, totally. Yeah.
0: Original group and how it later translated to a work that he did for the company. Yes. I believe it was his second work mm-hmm. for New York City Ballet. Yep. And a lot of what we had worked on in that choreographic was put into into the actual ballet.
1: What was your response watching Year of the Rabbit, knowing that you were in the original run of it when it was like the mm-hmm. the softer open, so to speak, and then you saw it become fuller because I don't if I remember, were you not in the original Year of the Rabbit cast? With or City were Ballet, you, I yeah. was not. Okay, so what was it like watching it?
0: I feel very proud of him. Yeah. I was like here he was a few years prior to, you know, choreographing it on the company. Younger Justin, Mm -hmm. experimenting really with his movement quality, with his take on music. And then really seeing it realized and clear and very processed, like he obviously thought about it and took that space in that time with Choreographic to figure it out, what he liked, what he didn't like, Mm -hmm. and how he wanted to see this ballet go. Yeah, I think, yeah. yeah.
1: Time is such a big help mm-hmm. for choreographers. I know George Balanchine choreographed so quickly, but like that that's a that's genius. Yeah, that I
0: think he's in a different level. Yeah, uncomparable to anyone else.
1: Mm-hmm. And so time is a really great help for a mm-hmm. lot of people who are making dances. Yeah, because you get to flesh out the ideas and figure out the structure of the music and the. The dancers on stage in different formations, the intentions, yeah. the qualities.
0: Yeah, it helps so much. But even Mr. B choreograph things and then later on Change, change them, them. Yeah. To mm-hmm. something.
1: That was that different. was his like growing in time. Yeah. <laughs> so you changed them years later.
0: Yeah. I mean that's kind of like how choreographic allows you to do. It's like work on something, mm-hmm. try it out get to know the music even more while you choreograph too and then like later on you can change it or elevate it or, you know, really chisel it the way you want it.
1: or change costumes. I know that that Uh happened a lot in like New York City Valley history, you know, by changing something that's not the dance but that's the costume or the lighting or the sets that Mm -hmm. also impacts how the choreography is received.
0: Mm -hmm. And not just as a dancer but I know you have experience choreographic from a choreographer point of view
1: yes so I think technically I've participated in two choreographic institute sessions one in the fall of 2020 during the pandemic Mm -hmm. and then the other one most recently last spring spring 2022 and then I did something but even before that that was called first steps which that was really my first foray into working with Mm -hmm. Like the New York City Ballet or SAB students, it was just like a week long. But I think technically that's a its own project that falls under New York City Ballet mm-hmm. territory. But all that to say is, yes, I've worked with the company. Uh, they're the New York Choreographic Institute twice, and choreographed two different dances. Each session was two weeks long, as we've said. Mm-hmm. One session, the one I made during the pandemic, was with New York City Ballet Dancers. Mm-hmm. And Adrian really wanted that session to highlight New York City Ballet Dancers because they- He's here. <gasps> and he's, he's here. He's arrived. I said his name and he's arrived. Adrian Danching wearing. he's a principal dancer with New York City Ballet and also the Artistic Director of the New York Choreographic Institute. So welcome, and could you tell us uh, when you became the Artistic Director of the Institute, and how did that transition happen?
3: Well, first of all, thank you for having me. You're so welcome. I'm very excited to talk about this. Uh, Not just my personal involvement, but the Mm -hmm. Institute's mission and evolution and, and where we see ourselves moving forward my involvement administratively or curatorially came in 2017 2018 when i suffered a serious injury
2: mm-hmm.
3: and knew that i was going to be sidelined from the stage for at least a year
2: mm-hmm.
3: and as i was wrapping my dancer mind around that reality i called a meeting with our artistic director peter martins who had founded the choreographic institute back in 2000 and i proposed a a couple of different ways i thought i could be in service to the institution to new york city ballet broadly outside of being a dancer on stage and i thought the institute would be a good fit for me because i've been so involved in choreographic process through my years at city ballet not only at the institute when i was first in the company but for whatever confluence of reasons, I've always just been the kind of dancer who's in new work. Mm-hmm. I'm like really hungry for it. Mm-hmm. And I I feel that collaboration fuels me mm-hmm. creatively, energetically, um, sometimes spiritually. So I proposed to Peter that if there was space at the Institute, I would love to be of service in some way. Alternatively, I thought there might be some role for me at the Balanchine Trust. Mm. And I feel it's important to point out both of those options because they could have been very distinct paths. Mm -hmm. And I think they kind of center me and how I see myself here in that we're between this very storied past, right? Like the history and lineage of George Balanchine and Jerome Robbins at New York City Ballet and all that we, we, three of Mm -hmm. us, right, carry as dancers here, like that mantle. But then, of course, we're always looking forward and trying to think about how this art form that has fueled us, can evolve. Mm -hmm. And so Peter said, come be my assistant at the Institute or be an intern, I think was the term he used. Come be an intern. (laughs) And initially what that meant was watching application videos. And I think that year it was like 160. Are you serious? Yeah, it was intense. 15 minutes of work ask, samples yeah, of different choreographers. Mm-hmm. And it was a many months long process. And so I got sent a spreadsheet and you mm-hmm. input answers to a bunch of specific questions. And we actually still implement the same format as one phase of the selection process. And I'm happy to talk about this more. But it's it's multi-tiered now, the way that we accept applications and vet those applications and dialogue around selecting choreographers. But I participated that year in a learning capacity Mm -hmm. and I wound up sitting with Peter and Dick Tanner, who then was the associate artistic director of the Institute, for what turned out to be a really informative two days watching the top 20 applications and hearing their thoughts about where these particular choreographic statements sat in relation to New York City Ballet's identity Mm -hmm. and the ballets that we think define us, define our brand. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, long story short, Dick Tanner retired. I was slated to become the associate artistic director. And then, this must have all been in 2017, Mm
2: -hmm. because
3: then in 2018, Peter resigned, Mm -hmm. and the board asked me to take over his responsibilities, although at the time it didn't include a title, for me, oh. so I was kind of working behind the scenes yeah. to keep the institution running sm- mm-hmm. smoothly. Um, and then I became the artistic director two years ago. And what is it now? Congratulations!
1: Yeah, that's, that's pretty, pretty big big recent.
3: It's a big deal.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a huge deal. I mean, and I mean, the the mission of the institute is to carry forward ballet. Yeah. and and when you're the head of that something with that mission, that's a big responsibility. Um, Yeah, yeah, the
3: future is in your hands. Yeah, don't take it lightly. (laughs) I mean, it's a very small part of that future, and I feel like what's beautiful about the Choreographic Institute is it's such a small and agile organization. Mm -hmm. Affiliate of New York City Ballet, right, Mm -hmm. which is a much bigger arts behemoth, right? Mm -hmm. And movement at New York City Ballet is like moving the Titanic. And I feel like we're just one of those little life preserver boats hanging off the side,
1: (laughs) you know? It's well. I would say it's well supported. Mm-hmm. It's well curated. People get really excited about it. Uh, dancers and choreographers, mm. the audience members. So, yeah.
3: Absolutely, and it's meaningful work. And I, I do want to say I, th- I think that Peter was a visionary in conceiving of this project with the support of Irene Diamond mm-hmm. back in 1999, 2000, before any of us were here. And I take it very seriously. And Mm -hmm. I think that there's a proof point in the value of this kind of choreographer-focused residency programming, because every major company in the world now has some version of it. And so I think from our perspective, having been very much at the vanguard of that work, the question is always, how do we move it forward? Mm -hmm. How do we advance this agenda? And I think that agenda is seeking to answer this question of, how does ballet evolve How does the classical vocabulary serve us? How do we retain relevancy? And then these sort of bigger, somewhat political questions, right, about like, who does ballet represent and who can it reach? That's what's always in the back of my mind as we're looking at applications, as I'm going out and watching performances and working to curate these cohorts of three choreographers at a time to participate in sessions.
1: What do you look for in choreographers when they submit a piece of work? Is that too um, intimate of a question to ask in this setting? I'm not sure, but like, what do you look for when you're considering people to work with?
3: I don't think it's a, too intimate of a question. This is such an intimate environment, sitting here with <laughs> well, you guys. Well, it's, it's and this, going yeah. out in the air. <laughs> yeah, I know. I have to remember that. <laughs> we look for original voices. I think. What's really hard to find, especially in emerging choreographers, are distinct points of view. I will say in that 150, 160 applications every year, you see a lot of work that feels derivative of existing work. Mm -hmm. Mm. right? Choreography in the style of Mm -hmm. Mm ex-choreographer. And this is not to say that that is not a necessary and valuable part of honing one's own choreographic mm. voice. I'll also say, you know, for the record, I'm not a choreographer. Mm. And I think that it is a virtue in the role that I now hold. That I'm not imposing my own choreographic biases or what I would do to resolve a movement phrase. Mm-hmm. 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 I'm thrilled to support other artists yeah. in realizing their own potential. yeah, And that That sustains my interest. Mm -hmm. But I think because we have historically been designed to support emerging choreographers, and it's like younger choreographers, you have to learn how to see through their influences, right? And as as dancers, like we are all these kind of moving, breathing archives of all the ballets we've danced, Mm -hmm. right? And so when you're looking at the work of 20 somethings, making choreography, they're unpacking that experience. And depending on where they've danced and whose work they've danced and what choreographers they've collaborated with, you see a lot of that imprint.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't they say about people who, like writers, when they write a book, for instance, you, you write what you know. Mm-hmm. And so in a very similar way, like the, dan- the choreographer often dances or creates dances of what he or she knows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as dancers, too, we do that, too. We model what we see around us so Mm -hmm. yeah finding that distinct voice in a choreographer is I would say paramount when when considering all the 150 applications you get
3: yeah so you're looking for that spark Mm -hmm. yeah which is hard because like
0: as we go on I feel like everything has been choreographed I'm like how do you find things that haven't been done yet in a house with like Mr. B's choreography was very pioneer in its own way, and that made such an impact in dance from then on. Like, how do you find not something similar, but something with that that has that echo mm-hmm. of keeping dance moving forward in any sort of way? It's very challenging. I have
3: some thoughts about how we might begin to answer that question, okay? And I I'm reminded of something that Dick Tanner used to say in Mm -hmm. this process, in this application vetting process. And he would often point out what he called Concerto Barocco syndrome, that young choreographers who were commissioned to make work for City Ballet Mm -hmm. were commissioned on their own merits, right? Were given that opportunity because of their own choreographic voice, right? Like their author voice. Yeah. To use novelists as as our metaphor, right? But then something happens psychologically when people come into this institution, right? The, the high tower, mm-hmm. they feel like they have to make Concerto Barocco, mm-hmm. and the reality is, Balanchine already made Concerto Barocco. He made it. Yeah, it already exists. We don't exists. need to see, We we will see it again, mm-hmm. in its air quote perfect form, but we don't need a choreographer today to reproduce that. Yeah, we need a choreographer today to tell us where they are mm-hmm. in time and space, because I think that this idea of like relevancy is all about context, mm-hmm. right? And I think we all as current dancers feel that the ballets we dance, these historic ballets we dance are contemporary because we're contemporary bodies. Mm-hmm. We're contemporary thinkers. We move through the world today now. Mm-hmm. And so there's an urgency and an, an imperative to dance them as ourselves, as we know ourselves. Mm-hmm. We're not doing historical reenactment, you know? Mm-hmm.
1: What are some of your initiatives that as artistic director you've plugged in to the institution or are attempting to unite to the mission?
3: Well, the first major thing that I pushed for when I took this job was to bring in dramaturgs to consult the choreographers throughout the creative process. And this is something that is very commonplace in European dance companies and European opera houses. Many big dance companies have in-house on-staff dramaturgs Mm -hmm. who consult on how audiences might read meaning out of movement Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that's not something we're so familiar with in the American dance scene especially in classical ballet neoclassical ballet uptown dance and so that has been a transformational aspect of this work before we started including dramaturgs in these sessions, we had one fall session that was focused on design. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you recall? Where yeah, we remember yeah? that one, yeah. Where we worked with some colleagues at NYU, mm-hmm. Tish, mm-hmm. and they brought in talented young costume and lighting designers. Mm-hmm. And they were in the studio throughout the choreographic process. And it was really interesting. So we do a lot of feedback throughout the sessions, like right? We're constantly having roundtable discussions. And something that's really key for me is to build enough trust among everyone participating Mm -hmm. that we can constantly adapt to their needs. And so that's kind of this idea that, like, we're small, we're scrappy, we can turn on a dime. And so from session to session, we can really evolve our practice in service of the artists who are in the room. And so what we started to hear was that the design focus pulled the choreographers away from their own choreographic practice, because they were already conceiving of how this would look with this kind of skirt or that kind of shoulder or whatever, and a PowerPoint presentation of like digital renderings of lighting concepts. Mm -hmm. That's not to say that's not valuable. Mm -hmm. And it's not to say it's not an essential part of staging a work. But we are not a producing organization, right? We're not producing works for the stage. And while it's important for these choreographers to learn how to speak a common language with multidisciplinary, collaborative artists, what they felt was the real value of having those specific artists in the room was that there was someone there to hold them accountable to their own ideas. And so this really dovetails beautifully, I think, or Mm -hmm. naturally, with the introduction of dramaturgs because those artists specialize in helping directors, helping dance makers bring their own vision into the world, into reality, and allowing them some degree of objectivity with which to see their own creation so they might be able to understand how audiences would respond to it.
1: Yes, I mean, in one of the institutes that I participate in, the, the spring 2022 one, I had a dramaturg, mm-hmm. Risa Steinberg, right. and she helped me so much. And right from the get-go, I wasn't envisioning her being such a pivotal player, from the initial days of choreographing, but she and I had a phone call on one of the first days of rehearsals that transformed how I not only delivered the steps to the School of American Valley students, but also how I made them. So she challenged me to think about greater dimensions, especially more than just having a lot of steps face the front, mm-hmm. which that's like, what ballet often is is a lot of presentational facing to the front, so she challenged me to look beyond that for the piece that I was making and to make sure that my intentions were being given uh, clearly to the dancers as well as to the audience. So, mm-hmm. I will commend you greatly for having the dramaturg a part of the,
3: well, I'm so the glad institution. All, uh, yeah, valuable to you. So and I think helpful. Risa Steinberg is brilliant. Yeah, she's. You know, I think she's she is not formally a dramaturg. She sees herself as a choreographic mentor. Mm-hmm. And that's very much the, the responsibility she has at Juilliard. And she works with a lot of choreographers we know and respect. And she has such a keen eye and such incisive access to language. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I think this is really interesting to hear you reflect on that because dance is like a nonverbal verbal form. Yeah. And yet... The process itself, right, we all know this from time in the studio, sometimes the key is finding language for the specific artist you're working with.
1: Mm-hmm. Completely yeah. agree.
3: And so that gets back to this idea of how do you find common language? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How do you work towards that common goal? And I think how then are you in service to something greater than yourself? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, which is definitely your role as the artistic director and like guardian of all of the different moving pieces of an institution that cultivates creativity. Yeah, thank you for seeing that. Yeah, you also had another, you did another initiative. Were you the one responsible for the film?
3: Yeah, well, that was really a pandemic discovery. Mm -hmm. And we have traditionally prized uninterrupted, Studio time, affording space and dancers and resources to choreographers in a way that feels sacred or protected, or Mm -hmm. uh, to use your term, like we are guardians of that process. And then, of course, at the end of two weeks, we would have a studio showing. And that serves a bunch of different functions, right? It provides a sense of closure or completion to this creative endeavor. And it also is a way for us to show our intimate community. Right. Like our colleagues within New Mm -hmm. York City Ballet, the patrons who make this work possible, Mm -hmm. what they are supporting. However, the pandemic hit and we couldn't use our Lincoln Center studios. All of us as dancers were laid off for a very long period of time and kind of at sea without a paddle. And I thought. It could serve a large number of city ballet dancers if we did an off-site residency, a bubble residency. And this is an idea that I really absorbed from the Guggenheim works in process. So Caroline Cronson and Duke Deng, I think were very much at the vanguard of this kind of work, and we are grateful to them for having established a framework for that. Mm-hmm. And we did the same in Martha's Vineyard, at the Vineyard Arts Project. Yes. where you choreographed Claire.:
1: Yes. yeah.
3: And I mean, I'd love to hear your reflections on that, too. But it was a way for us to employ 28 dancers from New York City Ballet in different capacities, both as dancers, as administrators, as filmmakers. And the only way we knew we'd be able to safely and from a distance place share that work was to film it.
2: Mm -hmm. So
3: we had our colleagues Emily Kikta and Peter Walker work with each of the three New York City Ballet dancer choreographers on their pieces and conceive of them as short dance films. And that was our first virtual studio showing. And the feedback we got around that, both from all the artists and then from audiences, was that it's something we should keep. Mm -hmm. However, it creates this tension between the sacred space we were once able to promise choreographers, right? The closed door sessions, Mm -hmm. and this very real world demand for a concrete dance to be completed so it could be filmed and shared with the world and I'm not like the tension of that is not lost on me Mm -hmm. and yet I still think that the net positive from doing that means that choreographers have that much more visibility they have a very high quality film capture of their work even if it's a work in progress that they can then share with as part of other applications in pursuit of other commissions for other organizations and so that, as like a takeaway, is a real gift, I think.
1: I would agree that it's, it's a real gift.
3: It's so worth it.
1: Yeah, I think it is so worth it. Um, looking back, I mean, I think the brevity of the two-week period to make a film can be quite intense. Uh-huh. But when you see the film and it's captured by someone who has a great eye for movement, who can really elevate the Enhances. dance, enhance the dance for film it really has been a real gift Mm -hmm. for people around the world to see because it's no longer just this, a bubble thing, Mm -hmm. even though we did Mm -hmm. the bubble residency Mm -hmm. during the pandemic, but it's not just in a bubble. Like, because I just think art is meant to be shared. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, I don't, I have a hard time being like, I'll just make this dance and just keep it to myself. I just think it's meant to be shared. So when you make the film, and today's world is so digital Mm -hmm. savvy The film just is is easily transported and easily inspires people wherever they may be. Mm -hmm. So I would say that it's a very valuable asset and that as long as choreographers and dancers know that it will be a film, that's okay. Right. Yeah. And
0: I just think it adds an extra layer for the choreographer to work on the skills on I'm not just choreographing something for the stage to be presented live, but like how do I work to choreograph something or translate what I've choreographed for this stage into film. How do I work with the filmmaker? And I think that's so important because dance, it's reaching so many types of art. Mm -hmm. And I was just talking to Claire before where there's a difference between dance being filmed and a film about dance. Like
1: a dance film. Yeah.
0: and Yeah. And And, filmed dance. And
1: filmed dance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like
0: we have such a like Great history of dance being incorporated into film, like the Hollywood gold era with there was so much musical and dance kind of just like weaved into the film industry. And then kind of just, you know, through the years, we've moved away from that. And how can we bring that, not bring that back, but bring bring it forward and incorporating dance yet again into mainstream film. And I feel like this is a great, great opportunity for choreographers to have that experience to then go on and be able to not just choreograph on a dance company, but choreograph something for a film. Mm-hmm. For
1: the world. For, for the world. world. <laughs> it's
0: still dance, but it's very different. And I feel like
3: it's very current and very important today. I agree. I think you're, you're reminding me that I think often about the parameters that are required for classical ballet to thrive Mm -hmm. right and we all think about it in our bodies right like Mm -hmm. the marley floor the sprung floor the bar at the right height right the kind of light i mean everything about the space that we occupy is essential it's huge yeah very and so at the heart of the choreographic institute is this mandate to push classical ballet forward Mm And I think there are a lot of different ways we can do that. And one of the avenues that's increasingly exciting to me is inviting choreographers of disparate backgrounds, of non-classical backgrounds, into the Choreographic Institute to experiment with classical ballet vocabulary. right? Because one of the, the incredible resources we have, of course, are the dancers of the New York City Ballet. Mm. Yeah. So you can bring in choreographers who have distinct training in, in limon technique or in hip-hop or in contemporary dance or in dance theater, and they can brush up against these like highly trained, refined musical stylists. And I think the creative friction there mm-hmm. is very fruitful. And so that's one element of the work we're doing is trying to create that kind of alchemy. hmm And seeing how it develops. And, of course, that's a space where you're like, should it be filmed? Should that process be recorded? Mm -hmm. And I think, to your point, yes, it should, with this caveat that this is a work in progress. Yeah. Yeah. Understanding that that is what it is. Mm -hmm. All the choreographers who participate in the Institute retain the rights to all of their work. So we are very much cheerleaders Mm -hmm. in that way, advocates in Mm -hmm. that way. And we've had a number of choreographers in the years that I've been involved in the Institute go on to expand the works that they've made within the Institute Mm -hmm. for other companies, for their own projects. We actually have a choreographer named Lisa Pyers, who's Canadian, who's done a number of Institute sessions, who has a commission for City Ballet next spring. And this is a real exciting sort of proof point in the work that we're doing because she is expanding the piece she made with the Choreography Institute with a composer named Jack Frerer, who she'd collaborated with uh, three years ago in that session. And he's expanding his score for five musicians to a full orchestral work for the City Ballet Orchestra. And Elisa is doubling the length of the piece that she'd made Wow! then. So I think about the work we do is like building more rungs on the ladder mm-hmm. yeah. to the stage. Yeah, And I think this is kind of the first time we really have that arc.
1: Mm, so that, that initiative, in the initiative of like really making it like a characteristic of the Institute and New York City ballet relationship, this is one of the first steps, or one of the first mile markers. It is. In, I mean, we, we mentioned earlier, um, before you arrived, that there have been pieces to have taken place at the yeah, Institute and go to New York City Ballet.
0: Been put on stage.
1: But it hasn't been maybe such a clear intention of the Institute? Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. So is that something that you're with Elisa Pyers, like it's becoming more intentional to have Choreographic Institute choreographers, hopefully, or aim to come to New York City Ballet?
3: Yes, and I mean, uh-huh. I don't think that the Choreographic Institute by mission is in service to City Ballet in that way, mm-hmm. but I certainly think there's a lot of alignment in aesthetic values, in stylistic preferences, mm-hmm. uh, and we would certainly provide a platform in which the artistic leadership of New York City Ballet can see new choreographic talent. Mm-hmm. And so we similarly have another choreographer who did an institute session last fall named Kiradi Jinokunwifat, who's currently choreographing a small piece for the winter season at City Ballet. And in light of Kiradi and Elisa getting these commissions for City Ballet, we did a special session for the institute this last summer called, called Choreographic Institute Extension which just gave each of them an additional week of research and development for these pieces several months in advance of their formal commissions. Because one thing we hear over and over again is when choreographers come to work at City Ballet, <laughs> they don't fully comprehend how busy all their dancers will be yeah. and how limited
2: mm-hmm. time
3: will be. Because we're all rehearsing 35 other things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so to have that week of full rehearsal days... To exist in that flow state, I think was really and
1: like just focused on that one. Just that it's ballet. all everyone was doing. Yeah,
3: it's the only thing everyone was doing. Yeah, it's,
1: it's helpful to both the choreographer and the dancers. Mm-hmm. I would, I would say,
3: um, to do that. And it's part of that project of like learning to speak the same language, finding mm-hmm. a shorthand.
1: Yes, yeah, especially with new, new distinct voices collaborating. Yeah,
3: yeah, coming from different techniques, mm-hmm. 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 different backgrounds. Yeah. Because it's not that we don't know how to dance. It's that we haven't been formally trained how to dance in limon technique mm-hmm. yes. or in Cunningham technique. Yeah. And, of course, when we bring a Cunningham ballet into repertoire, we get Cunningham classes for, a couple mm-hmm. days, you know, at least a couple days. Yeah. It's not a very robust training, but at least it touches on the essentials. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Because we can't just, like, press a button on our bodies and be like, okay, today I'm going to be a Cunningham dancer. And just do the steps. Right. You have to, like, feel it in your body over a significant amount of Absolutely. days, weeks, right. whatever it is, yeah.
3: And I think for our health and, like, physical health, mm-hmm. yeah, injury prevention, and, like, sustained resilience, we need to know how to code switch. And for artistic value, like, you want to hear
0: all these things that come with their techniques and their style. Mm-hmm. Like, you want to listen to them,
3: you want to be told, and that only comes from studio time.
1: Mm-hmm. Time. Time. And I also
3: think when the when the premiere isn't right around the corner, all the artists in the room are far less armored up yeah. and defensive about their own perfectionistic tendencies. Cause I think to be successful in new work, you have to deconstruct some of your ego yeah. to rebuild something else up in, in its place.
1: Yes. Speaking of rebuilding or just building, where do you see the institute? Maybe let's just go like the next five years. We're not going to go crazy mm-hmm.
3: big. I have a lot of answers to that question. I think the most immediate things would be to expand the time in which these sessions happen. And that's something we've been pushing for for a while, but it's currently constrained by when the New York City Ballet studios are open, mm-hmm. right, when when the New York City Ballet is not working. Mm-hmm. And so there's some creative problem solving and figuring out alternative periods of time, that what has traditionally been a two week session could become a three week session, for example. Mm-hmm. And you alluded to this yourself, right? In your experience of having to produce something in two mm-hmm. weeks, it's it puts a lot of fire under your butt. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So I think expanding the time in that way. I also feel that this filmic element could evolve further, where you know I'm very conscious that that I'm saying we're not a producing organization. And yet we've been producing these films. And so I think that there's something exciting about, especially because we all consume so much media visually, Mm -hmm. right, on screens, that it feels like a natural space to grow into, that they would actually be higher production value films Mm
2: -hmm.
3: or more integrated in their conception Mm -hmm. as dance films and not just filmed dance. Mm -hmm. And then I think we keep spinning out these pilot programs like the extension program I was describing for Kirati and Lisa, Mm -hmm. And we do manage first steps and we plan to broaden that into something, you know, working title Next Steps, which would be a way for dancers at New York City Ballet to continue to develop their choreographic craft um, because what we're able to offer now is just for first-time choreographers. And so back to this metaphor of putting more rungs on the ladder, I think all of my motivations come from this idea that we could... Develop greater continuity of care for the artists we support. And that means helping work from its gestation, right, from like planting the seed through to its fully realized art form. And whether that's a ballet on a proscenium stage or a high concept dance film or a series of dances that get integrated into some other project, some Hollywood-style film, some commercial project, some Broadway project. I think there are a lot of ways in which the infrastructure we've built can serve all these different performance platforms.
1: Mm. Bravo!
3: I don't want to give too much away. Did you see yourself ever being involved or being in such a position? I think a lot about how much I've benefited from mentorship Mm -hmm. in my life, in my career. As other people mentoring you. Yeah, like older, wiser, smarter, more creative, more capable people taking me under their wing and saying, I want to teach you this. Or I believe in you. Or believe in yourself. And I feel like as I dance through these last few years of my career, I think a lot about paying it forward. And I feel like my experience and my interests and like my aptitudes all lend themselves to providing that for yeah, passing it down. Yeah.
1: Thanks so much, Adrian. My go that's look.
0: Cool. At, you know what I would tell oh, you? Yeah. Go look at those videos that are out yeah, there in the world of
1: choreographic. Institute? dot org dot org. Yeah, and then you click past sessions. Right.
3: That sounds good. I think so. Yeah. We, I it's believe- a really. We just rebuilt our website. For the distinct purpose of it being easy to navigate. And it is. It looks really nice. Yeah. And it features all the recent films we've made. Plus it has a photographic archive of every past session that's happened uh, beginning in 2000. Yep. And we will continue to develop that more as a social media platform. So choreographers, composers, and designers who have participated can maintain contact and keep tabs on each other's. Careers.
1: And there's an Instagram though, too, right?
3: There is. We're not active. Maybe We're a very in the, small five-year team. Maybe the five exactly year plan? The five year plan. It's in the five year plan, it could right? Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Do you want that job?
1: I mean, I'm a freelancer now, so sure. <laughs> All right,
3: let's talk about it.
1: <laughs> okay. It's great okay. talking with you, guys. Bye. Bye. How was my
3: tea? <laughs> Your tea was good. It was room temperature and it was delicious. <laughs> oh, <no>. <laughs> <laughs> I had a feeling it was good. <laughs>